0: James Baldwin has received a tremendous amount of scholarly and big screen attention over the last couple of years, but most of it has stemmed from his work between the 1950s and 1970s. But what about the 80s? Merrimack College Assistant Professor of English, Dr. Joseph Vogel's new book, James Baldwin and the 1980s, Witnessing the Reagan Era, published by our friends, like Don, at the University. Of Illinois Press has us covered on this particular question. On the latest episode of New Books in African American Studies, hosted by me, Adam McNeil, we will get to the bottom of this question. Welcome to the show, Dr. Joseph Vogel. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, Adam. Thanks for having me on.
0: Outstanding. Outstanding. So um, quickly, can you tell us how this project began for you and why James Baldwin as a subject?
1: Yeah. So um, when I was in graduate school at the University of Rochester, um, I came across an essay that James Baldwin wrote uh, called Freaks and the American Ideal of Manhood, and um, it was written in 1985 which uh, I knew from studying Baldwin a little bit up to that point was kind of late in his career. And I found the the essay just really fascinating and, um, and, and really was kind of surprised at how attuned James Baldwin was to what was going on in popular culture at that time. So I ended up doing one of my dissertation chapters on that essay. And it kind of piqued my interest, you know, just in terms of had James Baldwin written other, you know, essays or, or books or, you know, what, what else was going on in his, um, you know, in terms of his writing career at that time. So um, that was really the impetus is just, you know, coming across that essay and, and then just being curious about what else, um, you know, his, he was putting out at that time.
0: Exactly. And so I, I think about, you know, as one mo- opening monologue uh, showed most people think about James Baldwin in the context of, you know, the embattlements of the civil rights movement and his moves to like places like, you know, Paris or Istanbul, um, that we see in various things like uh I am Natural Negro or you know, recently if Bill She could talk. But um can you tell us also how Baldwin in the nineteen eighties, like this is and obviously, we know now that obviously that was the last decade of it, decade of his life. But what about the 1980s, and, and as your title suggests, the Reagan era? That was so that was so specific in the mind of James Baldwin.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because I mean he was you know kind of going back and forth uh, between France and the United States during that time period. Um, but I think one of the interesting things is that he was teaching, um, here in the United States, uh, during much of that time, including actually here in Massachusetts at Hampshire college. And, uh, and I think that, you know, just interacting with young people kind of helped him to be more dialed into, to what they were thinking and what, you know, what they were talking about. And so you, I think you really see that in his work that he, you know, kind of, was was more attuned to what was happening in in American culture, and 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 you really see that kind of reflected in his articles and essays.
0: Yeah, and and, and that to me was one of the more interesting parts about it, it was because as I'm reading your book, um, you know, the the you know the the scholarship and the attention that Baldwin has, is is receiving um it is so profound and so great and so massive but you know the the 1980s and and I always think about like how I, when I think about the 1980s as well especially because my family is from New York and Brooklyn specifically I'm thinking about like what was going on in the in the 1980s in in New York so I'm thinking about things like hip-hop and and, right. um, uh, you know, you have globalization. So you have, you know, the the breaking down of industrial areas
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: in, in the city of New York, especially stemming from the 1970s and coming into the 80s. Um, and so what was Baldwin's like, like, take us to like that transition point between the 1970s and the 1980s that was really changing a lot for James Baldwin. That brings us into this particular time frame of the Reagan era.
1: Yeah, so you know, I, I actually dedicate my first chapter to his last novel, which uh, technically was not published in the nineteen eighties. It was published in nineteen seventy nine. Uh, you know, which is right on that. You know, that was when yeah. uh, Reagan was uh, running for president, but not yet president. And that that books, I think, an interesting transition. And in it, and it um, you know, Baldwin was always fascinated with uh, with music, and and that's a kind of recurrent theme throughout. His work, But the interesting thing about that novel is that he really is grappling with Black popular music um, and, and the kind of the celebrity artist and, and how, um, you know, how on the one hand, Black popular music was so influential and so, you know, pervasive in American culture. But on the other hand, he felt like the story wasn't being told correctly, you know, that, that people were missing the real story. And so that that novel, one of the major themes is, is really looking at a particular artist who's become a star and, you know, kind of the deterioration um, as he achieves the American dream. But then, you know, kind of deals with the with the just enormous weight of, of being a star uh, as a black artist in, in America and, and in particular, a black gay artist Um you know, and so, so it's really fascinating, I think, it's a kind of an interesting transition point for for his work. And and, you know, one of the things that people talk about when they talk about uh, the 1980s is is the, quote, crossover artist, because that's the artist when you saw, you know, the Whitney Houston's, the Michael Jackson's, the Prince's, you know, all of these artists that achieved enormous commercial success. But obviously uh, that that came at a cost.
0: Right, and obviously Michael Jackson is in the news for uh, some other reasons, uh, unfortunately, of course, um, and for potential victims as well. Um, But crossing back to Baldwin, um, yeah, that's the thing about Baldwin. He loved popular music. He was, I think one of the parts about Baldwin I, I most admire is his cultural criticism, right? You know, this is a time where... Um, you know, post-1960s, he's seen as in the decline where, you know, things that he's writing are not, you know, as being commercially successful and people are thinking that his civil rights activism is directly tied to his deterioration right. as a writer. <laughs> and that it's like, uh, it all depends on who is the one determining the, the deterioration. Right. Um, and um, so so with that, another thing that, that Baldwin... Takes up a lot, and you previously mentioned, is a notion of manhood, right? What does it yeah. mean to be a man? He he obviously uses very masculinist language um, in much of his speeches that, that we've heard and have seen, but um, you know, what does Baldwin think of manhood and and specifically black manhood in this time frame of hyper, you know, capitalism and commercialism and, and corporatization as well?
1: I mean, I think that he, in a way that very, very few writers were at the time, complicates our notions of masculinity. And specifically in uh, Freaks and the American Ideal of Manhood, he's kind of putting forward this idea that, uh, as he puts it, we are all androgynous. And that is not just the kind of superficial, you know, uh, notion of androgyny that was popular in, in pop culture in the eighties, but just that we all uh, to a degree that is rarely acknowledged in popular culture um, are uh, more complex, you know, than, than kind of the Reagan, you know, Reagan was voted the the most admired man in America for eight consecutive years while he was president. Right. And his, <laughs> his embodiment of, of manhood was very traditional, right. It was, you know, just this kind of rugged, individualistic, you know, strong uh, kind of idea of masculinity. And and, and Baldwin's own experiences uh, obviously led him to a much different conception uh, in which both feminine and masculine characteristics were kind of, uh, you know, both part of what makes us human.
0: Exactly. And and I think about that in, in even the context of of the 45th president um, and how he's tried to embody some of the same masculine traits uh, as well, even though they come from literally two opposite ends of the country, one being in California and is a jelly bean governor and the other being a wheeling and dealing uh, uh, father gives him a a million dollars uh, (laughs) as seed money. Uh, a person from Queens. So, you know, obviously not that too not extremely far from Harlem. The uh, the Harlem that James now uh, grew up in. Um and and how does how, how how does Baldwin and and maybe so does Baldwin see any connections between the election of Ronald Reagan and the his potential connection to the um, deterioration of civil rights in, in in the late 60s going into the Nixon era.
1: Well, I think that was part of why there was a kind of falling out with Baldwin and, and you know, both the literary establishment and also just kind of his readership in general is that, you know, Baldwin wasn't into that kind of triumphant, we made it, everything's accomplished rhetoric, you know? Uh, mm mm-hmm. The, the whole Reagan vision of a morning in America, you know, where uh, it, it's almost like everything is, you know, has been accomplished, right? And, and everything's, you know, good and happy. And, you know, uh, that vision of America just did not at all jive with the America that, that Baldwin was seeing in the post-civil rights era. And I think there was a reluctance on America's part at that time, for that type of realism you know that kind of realistic assessment of like hey yeah the the civil rights movement happened in the 60s but not everything is better in fact in the 80s you saw this real uh massive deterioration of inner cities you know crime was rampant uh there there you know it was mass incarceration uh so there were a lot of things that you know and and he baldwin spent a whole book uh the evidence of things not seen on the atlanta child murders um And so he was trying to look at the landscape more realistically. I think Reagan tended to just completely ignore a lot of these realities, and and Baldwin kind of wanted to, you know, make people look at it, you know, and just acknowledge that this this was part of uh, part of the story that was being ignored.
0: And and one of the things that your book really fleshed out greatly was how Reagan and America at large, especially with him as the leader, um, how the nation turned his back on folks afflicted with um, HIV AIDS. Right. Um, and so can you talk to us about um, oh, how wow. Baldwin and well, specifically how Reagan turned his back and also how um, Baldwin dealt with that kind of tumultu- uh, tumultuous na- uh, nature in the nation at the time, um, especially because we know Baldwin as someone who who speaks about love so often yeah. as, a, as a common thread throughout almost every single work he's
1: done. Right. So in Reagan's case, you know, he, he's been widely criticized for the, just the fact that he really didn't even say anything about the AIDS crisis until after... Um, actor Rock Hudson, uh, announced that he had AIDS and, um, and even after that, it took time really before, you know, his administration put, you know, any degree of, of funding together and kind of acknowledged that it had become like a massive epidemic. And so there was just a really, really slow response on the part of the Reagan administration. Um. In terms of Baldwin, he's actually also been criticized for not being more outspoken uh, or being on the front lines of the AIDS crisis. And um, and you know, I, I read just about everything you know, the, all the interviews, articles, essays, and he really does not speak about the AIDS crisis very much. He it's briefly mentioned in an interview that he did with the Village Voice in 1985, uh, but it's still not really clear what what he had to say. And so one of the interesting things uh, when I, you know, really started to dig in uh, to my research on the book is that there there was one um, unpublished manuscript, uh, which I went and looked at it at, uh, down at Harvard. Uh, they have one of, I think, three three or four manuscripts is down there at the Houghton Library. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, first of all, it's a brilliant play, The, the Welcome Table. Um, it's really probably among his best work from the 1980s. But the other interesting thing about it is, it's the, it was the first thing that I found from that uh, decade where he explicitly mentions AIDS, and uh, so I dedicate a whole chapter in the book to that manuscript uh, specifically within the context of the AIDS crisis, which I think is uh, one of the really kind of interesting subtexts of that play. And and I think
0: about that a lot when I when I consider how how deadly the the affliction was and and the stigma like the social stigma that was thrown on folks who who did um acquire the the um aids rather and so it's an interesting concept especially like you know be like I was born in nineteen ninety two so I was born into a very different world that you know that you know there I you know I'm not gonna say it's it's you know one thousand percent different but lord knows it's very very different in in how people perceive folks with, with uh HIV AIDS and, and and also how queerness right has has you know another bit potentially to say too because you know, Baldwin, you know, it's seen as a, correct me if I'm wrong, the AIDS is seen at this time as being a, a gay male disease. And, you know, Baldwin exuded, um, you know, uh, being at, at least queer, you know, obviously his, his politics on that, you know, are, are very interesting in that way. But, um, you know, can you talk to us about a, a bit whether or not you found in researching this? particular area whether or not his 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 queerness had anything uh provided him a particular um analysis that he might not have
1: said publicly but maybe privately maybe i mean you know i i I think just generally in his work he he talks about you know there, there are a couple of interviews where he talks about this fear of the flesh you know that's specifically i think um relevant to um to people like him, you know, that, that kind of have to navigate the world in a way where they are uh, not only seen as different, but in some ways feared. Um, and that's really what, what we saw with the AIDS crisis. It was so misunderstood at the time. Um, and people didn't really understand, you know, how it worked or like or how they could contract the virus. Uh, so there were fears just even about like, you know, sharing, you know, a drink or a drinking fountain or, you know, Uh, Of course, when when Magic Johnson, uh, you know, uh, came out and said he had HIV, there were fears, uh, you know, about him playing basketball and, and, you know, that other players could get it through sweat or through blood. And and so there was there was just this kind of um, general sense of panic and fear and misunderstanding. And gradually there was, you know, more education and people started to understand it better. But that took time. You know, and, and again, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I don't think that Baldwin was particularly outspoken on the issue. I mean, and, you know, part of that is just the fact that he died in 1987, so he really didn't live long enough to kind of uh, see it play out. Um, but, but part of it, you know, is like I said, is that he was, he had this play uh, where he's clearly trying to um, grapple with it and think about, you know, how it impacts the way even... You know, even people like him. How how does that change the way you know relationships work, or how they view each other? Um, And I I think you know, he you know, in his characteristic way, he handles it in a very nuanced, uh, complex way.
0: That he does in the typical Baldwin fashion. Um, And uh, uh, it's interesting too. Another piece of this. Text that made me think as well was um, the rise of uh, the religious right in, in televangelism and 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 uh, really prosperity gospel and and when yeah. television is changing and and such and and Baldwin gets to see a lot of this as well right um, and and we also know Baldwin's uh, very troubled relationship to the church too right so I I'm I'm fascinated to know. Um, and I'm sure the listeners do as well about how Baldwin dealt with this particular phenomenon, especially because it brought back so many reasons why he left the church. Yeah. Uh, as a, as a, as a prodigy.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting because it's actually kind of similar to what I said about music where, you know, religion is, you know, a huge part of Baldwin's work throughout his career. But what's interesting when you get to the nineteen eighties is that you're not just dealing with religion, you're dealing with the ways in which uh, religion has been, you know, commodified or the way it's being mediated through these, you know, these new new forms of media. And so televangelism in particular, which just exploded in the nineteen eighties and you know became this multi-billion dollar industry. Um, it, it's a whole different kind of critique because you have basically the religious right, uh, you know, strains of Christianity becoming intertwined with, with capitalism in a way that was unprecedented and with media and with mass media. And, and again, the way that Baldwin kind of recognized that and, and explored it. And, and to be, to be honest, like indicted that, that brand of, of religion, uh, I think, you know, it was a very (laughs) passionate and strong indictment of, of what was happening, uh, to religion at that time and how it was being wielded and exploited. Um, So he, you know, he wrote a couple of essays on that. And that's, you know, a dedicated chapter to that as well.
0: And, and as well, you know, maybe uh, looking at a bigger picture of this as well, as you're writing um, this particular text, can you tell us what your biggest challenge was?
1: what his... Say that one more time? Was your question, what, what was his biggest challenge?
0: No, no, what was your biggest challenge, actually, as uh, the writer oh, okay. of um, James Baldwin in the 1980s? What was, your, what was the biggest challenge for you uh, writing this particular text?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I would say, you know, part of it is just, again, that much of his work during this period is not very well known. Uh, And so just trying to track everything down, uh, you know, and and, and he was doing different types of work during this period. So I I tried to find, you know, everything that I possibly could in terms of, you know, he did a a documentary uh, called I Heard It Through the Grapevine in the early 80s um, with Dick Fontaine. Um, And he, you know, he did a jazz album, like a spoken word jazz album. Uh, He did a collection of poetry did multiple interviews. He was writing for Playboy magazine. Um, You know, he, he had some stuff that hasn't been published yet. So some of that stuff I was able to see some of it I was not. Um, So I think just the biggest challenge was just trying to collect all the various things. Um, And I still think there's, you know, there's quite a bit of work to be done on that front. Uh, But I, I, you know, I tried to see and read as much as I possibly could, and then, you know, kind of pick what I thought were the highlights of what he was working on in that final decade, or what I thought was kind of representative of, of his, his major, you know, interests. But there's still, again, there's still um, some areas that I wasn't able to fully explore. Like he, you know, like I said earlier, he did explore the issue of incarceration and that, that was not a focus of any of my chapters. So that's, you know, that's something that can be done in the future.
0: And I also think about uh, when it comes to Baldwin, I'm always fascinated by, and and this goes historically as well, because my work is more focused in the 18th and the 19th century, um, how people develop friendships. And so what does it mean for someone? And and, um, Raoul Peck's uh, I'm Not Your Negro showed this very well, um, and how four people very close to James Baldwin uh, Medgar Evers, um, uh, Lorraine Hansberry, Malcolm X, and and Martin Luther King, all die within the f- the, the the frame of five years, right. and and obviously Baldwin lives uh, longer than them and is older than all of them. So for for him, like, what does friendship mean for for Baldwin at this stage of his life?
1: Well, I, first of all, like, you know, he was devastated. You know, because Mm -hmm. these weren't, you know, to most people, these were icons, uh, but they were his friends. They were people that he knew personally. And so I think, you know, it actually took quite a bit of time to process that and kind of, uh, you know, figure out what what the next step was for him, because, you know, in some ways it was very disillusioning, you know, and and just a sense of like, you know, these these crucial figures, so talented and, and so important in terms of. Um, you know, our progress as a nation um, are gone. And, and I think he spent a lot of time grappling with that. I mean, obviously he was working on a um, screenplay that was going to be a movie on Malcolm X, um, which never materialized, um, but which he later published. Um, you, know, it, I think that, um, you know, I think that, you know, I think that, Eventually, he he found a way forward. And I think eventually he saw himself as you know, I think sometimes he's he described himself as the last witness, you know, for that, of that generation, and and he felt a a huge responsibility um, to try to account for what they were all trying to achieve in that period in their own in their own ways. And I, I think that kind of became you know, when you look at, when you read his interviews, his late interviews, that's what you see repeatedly is him describing himself. This is why I use that word in my subtitle, witnessing the Reagan era. He he really saw himself as as, as a witness, uh, not only to what those figures were trying to accomplish, but for what was currently happening.
0: And And that is so true because I think about how, much was happening in that time frame and people dying from uh from 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 crack cocaine and cocaine generally along with the AIDS epidemic that we spoke about before right um and and the loss of opportunities and and the deregulation and 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 you know so the 80s uh, going from the 70s to the 80s was a tremendously tumultuous time for many um excuse me for many african americans and, and americans generally as well yeah and you know you, yeah, saw, you saw the rise like i said of hip-hop and um did 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 he did baldwin talk about hip-hop
1: yeah, um, that's funny. And... I <laughs> that's a really good question I, that was one of the things that i looked for you know that i was really curious if he ever like said anything about it and I actually could not find anything. Um, wow. I'm sure if we, you know, if we saw his letters or, you know, if, you know, maybe he spoke to other people about it, you know, but just in terms of his interviews and his essays and articles, um, I never saw, I never came across anything that, that where he's explicitly talking about hip hop.
0: Wow. Yeah. Because I was, I'm not going to lie. When I first saw, Um, I think it was a profile through the African American Intellectual History Society's uh, Black Perspectives, their blog. And I saw that with your book. And the first thing I thought of, oh, my gosh, what did Baldwin think about (laughs) hip-hop? And, and like, that was, like, the first thing that I wanted to see. And so it's actually not surprising. But then I also think about,
1: too, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you were saying? Well, it was so... Early still. I mean, I know, yeah. it, like, you know, I mean, 87. Yeah, he probably should have <laughs> <laughs> had something by then. But um, it's funny because when I was uh, working on Just Above My Head, which deals with, with popular music, I actually started to develop a list of all of the artists that he references in his work. And the list was like, you know, over 100 artists, um, wow. you know, from Michael Jackson to Stevie Wonder to, you know, Ray Charles, to, you know, going back to like all the jazz legends and everything. So he he name drops literally hundreds of artists in his work, but I I just don't think at least from what everything that I saw there, there was no, uh, you know, reference to like public enemy or run DMC. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and,
0: and I think the other, the other side of this too, because, um, especially in that latter five years of the 1980s and three of them, uh, three, four that Baldwin didn't get to see, obviously, um, when you think about someone who's been in the news for winning a little something like Spike Lee, yeah. um, I really, really, really would have like if I could if, if God was like, Hey man, I can make something happen for you in the eighties, let me let me do it for you, you get one wish, I'd be like, Hey man, let me let, let let's have Baldwin see the whole eighties so yeah. that we can see him and, and go to Malcolm X, right? I would have loved Literally, I've never had this thought a day in my life until today and I grew up watching the the ex uh, uh film from Spike Lee yeah, how freaking awesome in in whatever in whatever way that Baldwin would have said anything he could have said i freaking hated it or whatever yeah. but imagine
1: well you know i mean Baldwin I mean,
0: being able to 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 live long enough to see the early rise of Spike Lee and like that yeah. u c l a black uh, uh, I forget the name, but the the black, uh, the rise of the black uh, um, uh, filmmakers and such, like John right. Singleton and others and right, right, right. Uh, Dash and such in, in the late 80s, early 90s, right. and especially going to see his p- depiction of, um, of Malcolm X. How freaking well, that, awesome would that have been?
1: No, it would have been amazing, but I mean, that uh, Spike's screenplay was based in part on Baldwin's... Uh, screenplay. So really, yeah. I
0: never knew that.
1: Yeah. So so he wow. actually, in, in, you know, in a way, had a had a role in that film. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, so the the only film that he you know might have seen is she's got to have it. Um, right. Was, that that is 96. true. That is true. So hmm. uh, I, you know, that would be fascinating too if if uh, you know he ever talked to anybody about seeing that film because that film did have a pretty you know, uh, substantial impact culturally. So I I have to think that he would have at least been aware of it. Um, But yeah, you know, obviously didn't get to see everything that came after that in terms of, you know, do the right thing and Malcolm X and everything else.
0: Man. Well, Dr. Vogel, man, that, that last part just made me so happy. Just like, (laughs) even like, I, like, I know it's not like, you know, a thing, but it just made me really happy just to even like dream about like, man, what the hell would they what, what the hell Bob would have said about that, man? <laughs> oh man. And so um I know time time is running away. So um my final question for you, uh, or one of the, I I think I have two. Uh one of them is um with this book, you know, it's it's finally published, it's out to the world, you're speaking about it with me on the airwaves of the new books in African American Studies and all of our affiliate channels. Um What what's next for you? What 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 is the next? uh, 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 What's the next book that we're gonna bring you on to the program to talk about? Because I'm very excited to hear this.
1: (laughs) Well, I do. I just do a lot of work in the '80s. I, I I mean, I grew up in that decade. I was born in 1981, so I actually, you know, I experienced it as a child. I wasn't you know, a teenager or anything during the 80s, but I I just find that decade really fascinating and just all the various cross currents. Um, So I'm actually teaching a class right now here at Merrimack College um, on the 80s, where we look not only at literature from that period, but also the the films from that period. So I imagine, um, you know, the next project will have something to do with that. I've been uh, doing some work with Stephen King since he was, you know, a huge author uh, Mm -hmm. during that decade and actually has surprised, you know, people think of as a horror writer, a lot of social commentary and actually, um, you know, deals with some of the things that we've been talking about today. So we'll see. And I kind of would like to go back to, to Baldwin in the decade, just in terms of, you know, the time he spent, you know, that I mentioned earlier on campuses and and just kind of learn more about, you know his time as a teacher and as as a professor on college campuses I think that would be interesting. So we'll see.
0: Very much. So now I'm and I'm also interested too like about like some like just like the overall culture wars that I heard so much about growing up in the in the 80s and the 90s and and folks like you have like the Donahue show and all these different areas too and I think about like Bell Hooks and Cornell West and Henry Louis Gates and all these scholars that are like cutting their teeth yeah. in this particular time frame too, and obviously James Baldwin is their elder, yeah. um, in that frame too, and kind of how you know the 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 uh, not elder in this way, but like the the older influence, how they you know build off of them and and such like that. So I think that I think the overall the culture wars and and such of the eighties. Um, as someone who was born fresh, fresh out of it in 92, yeah. um, is a very
1: no, there's, um, there's interesting. Of, yeah, there's tons of interesting stuff coming out of that decade. You know, one of the things that's interesting, they're raising this kind of fundamental question about what do we teach, right? What do we read? What's mm-hmm. part of the canon? And that was a really kind of crucial question. Um, but the other thing that's, that's, I think, great about that decade, just in terms of Scholarship, and I would say, particularly with African American scholars, is that they were public scholars. They were speaking to, you know, <laughs> what was actually happening, and and they were reaching a wide audience. I mean, you think of people like uh, Cornell West or Bell Hooks uh, or Henry Louis Gates. Um, they were they were speaking way beyond the Ivy Tower. You know, they were they were speaking to a really big audience, and. You know, I think that's actually an important thing that we need to try to do as scholars is is speak to real world issues and and try to communicate in ways that people can actually understand. And one
0: thing is for certain, this public education podcast is a way that you can learn. And today, (laughs) (laughs) you see what I did there? And today we have had the amazing opportunity to chat with Merrimack College, assistant professor of English. Dr. Joseph Vogel, about his amazing book published by our friends at the University of Illinois Press. Shout out to the editor, the amazing Dawn. She is literally one of the best in the business. I can attest and to that. She, I, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And a very, very nice person who, who I met at, at Asala in October as well in Indianapolis. And so once again, folks, we've had the amazing opportunity to chat with Dr. Joseph Vogel about his new book. James Baldwin in the 1980s, witnessing the Reagan era, and that is published by the University of Illinois Press. So please go out and get that book and support this amazing scholar and support this amazing book. And um, and hey, I am your host of the channel, Adam McNeil, soon to be PhD student at Rutgers University, New Brunswick. I can unveil that on these airwaves now. And Very so, nice, Adam.
1: congratulations
0: ah thank you so much I'm, I'm so excited to get to hang out with uh, dr eric armstrong dunbar deborah great what dr deborah great white and marissa fuentes and they're all the everybody i'll see them in a couple of days but until next it's time right. folks once again i'm your host of new books in african-american studies adam mcneil over and out